Thanks, Tom. Good morning. As Tom mentioned, my name is Jeff. I'm a leader here. It is exciting to be a part and to open up God's Word with you. A couple of logistical items before we begin. A couple of things you might find useful. One's a Bible, uh, an outline, and a pen. If you need any of those items, if you could just make contact with Ryan, eye contact with Ryan, and he would be happy to get you one of those things. Two more uh, logistical things. One is we have lots of children here, which is a blessing. I have four, and I love them. We, I know how to speak loudly over kids, so they are more than welcome to stay here, but at parents, if, if you, especially for the younger ones, would like to use the nursery, there is one available. Just go out the back door into the other room on the other side, and exactly in the, that corner on the other side is a uh, nursery, nursery for kids. As Tom mentioned, we have a lot of new ones here, little ones, and so there's a nursing room for mothers in the back of this room. Uh, you are more than happy to use those as needed. And um, there's changing tables at both those stations if you need those. If you have a Bible that Ryan gave you, we're going to be on th- page 359. As mentioned, we're continuing our series in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, Solomon is writing Ecclesiastes because he wants to bring us life and enjoyment even in the midst of vanity. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at, as you see at the top of your outline, how to respond to situations. How do you respond to situations? And we're going to look at it in three parts. One is don't complain. Two, don't give up. And the reason why we can do those two things is because God knows everything. Before we begin this sermon, though, let me ask you guys a question. When you're in a tough situation, how do you respond? How do you respond to tough situations? I know for me, I'm often quick to blame the person that put me in that position. Let me tell her a story that I didn't uh, obey here what Solomon says. I actually did complain. It's a cross-country story. I ran 7th through 12th grade, and this was my freshman year. We had a tough coach. It was the first year he was coaching. And I don't actually remember why, but we didn't like him much. And I remember one difficult practice Myself, I was one of the top runners. The other top runner, he and I were like one, two. And then maybe the third runner. So the top three runners are in the locker room, and we are complaining about our coach. The top runner actually went so far as to say, you know, I am so angry at him that when I'm out there running, I just picture his face on the ground in front of me, and I want to stomp on it. And that makes me go faster. That's harsh, right? But don't you want to complain sometimes in situations? We want to complain about the person over us. But Solomon is actually telling us to enjoy life, even in tough situations. As we look into the text, let me, before we look into the text, let me just open up and ask God to help us. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this day. 
Thank you that you love us, that you died on the cross, Lord. Thank you for Solomon's words that he wants us to enjoy life even when it's vain, even in difficult situations. Lord, he wants us and you want us to enjoy life. I pray you'd speak to us as we open up your word, as I speak and walk us through it. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. As I mentioned my story, I started that, I finished that practice complaining. And Solomon tells you right off the bat, don't complain. Don't complain. Follow along with me as I start reading from chapter 10, Ecclesiastes 10, verse 16. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your prince, princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. The first point on your outline is don't complain. That's in verse 20. Solomon actually says, do not curse the king or in your bedroom, curse the rich. When we use the word curse, we actually, it means a different connotation. Maybe four letter words come to your mind. But this passage, it means don't revile. Don't put down another person. So Solomon's point is don't complain about your situation. Let's look at how he gets there. Let's look at how he gets there. Look at back at verse 16. Solomon starts by saying there's a natural response to the situation that you're in. Do you see that? Verse 16, woe to you, O land, when your king is a child. And the other natural response is happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility. There's a natural response to how your ruler is or how the person acts above you. In my cross-country story, I was considering it well, but I don't actually think my, my leader, my coach, was a childish king. Oftentimes we think they are, right? I think, and Solomon gives us three clues to actually determine if you have a childish king and a ruler. It's right there in verse 19. It's a little weird how he says it. He says, bread is made for laughter, wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Those three things are clues to how, if you have a childish king or a noble king, they're resources, right? They're resources. Bread is made for laughter. There's two types of laughter, isn't there? There's the laughing at someone, and there's a laughing with someone. Earlier in 16 and 17, you see both the kings, the childish king and the noble king, both using bread. Second part of 16, the the childish kings, uh, the childish rulers feast in the morning. The imagery is they just get up and start partying. Whereas the noble kings, the noble rulers, they actually are using the bread at the proper time for strength. The second clue is in 19 is wine gladdens life. 
The noble king at the end of 17, wine is for strength. Wine and bread generally go together. Feasting, the key there is at the end of 17, not for drunkenness. doesn't say anything about the childish king, but I think you can imply what they use wine for. Some images come to mind. What When I say Justin Bieber or Miley Cyrus, does a little bit of cringing go on there? They're basically, you just read in the news about all the partying they do. The third clue as to how you're, what kind of leadership you're under is money answers everything. Do you see how the childish king and the, and, or the noble king use money? The noble king is using things for strength. You get the image that he's actually using the money to fortify his defenses. The childish king, since they feast in the morning. They're using money for their own selfishness. And Solomon gives you an idea of what that's going to lead to. In verse 18, through spending money on themselves, the through sloth, the roof sinks in. Through indolence, the house leaks. They're going to end up destroying what they have. It's going to fall apart going to get ruined. So we looked at that there is a natural response to our situation, and we looked at kind of figuring out what kind of situation you're in. And we already mentioned the beginning of the outline is don't complain. Regardless of the situation you're in, don't complain. Well, that's great. These are examples for Solomon in his day. What about us? Where do we find ourselves in situations like this? What about a boss that spends the company money on his own personal gain? You see him having the latest BMW every other year. And the company is struggling to meet financial uh, the financial quarter. Or what about a professor who is so focused on publishing and his research that he shows up to class 10 minutes late or at all. He doesn't care about the class much. Or what about the individual that, you know, they're the ones that are just constantly laughing at you, looking for opportunities to point you down, put you down, so they look better. Or they're just out to have fun and party. Are you tempted to complain in those situations? Have you considered maybe even your mind strategizing how to complain, taking your complaints to rant on Facebook or Twitter, talking to coworkers around the water cooler, your classmates, friends, or in my case, teammates? Or maybe in the church you do something a little more holy and you share a prayer request. Or maybe you just don't say anything and you just go, when they ask you to do something and you do it. Or you just silently hope for something better. Don't complain in the situation. And Solomon tells you why you shouldn't complain. 
right there at the end of 24. The, a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature tell the matter. The reason why you shouldn't complain is because they might actually find out. Back to my cross-country story. Do you see where this is going? We were in the locker room complaining, and what we didn't realize is the coach's door was right next to us. And I, I don't remember how it happened, but I remember the coach came in. He's like, you guys are off the team. Like that. We were kicked off. The three best runners on the team just kicked off because we were complaining. Have you been in situations where you were complaining about somebody and they hurt? Did it go well? Now, just to add here a little bit, I'm not saying that there aren't legitimate concerns. What I'm talking about is complaining. If there are things that are happening in a situation that you're in and that you're not comfortable with, Try something. Try going and talking to the proper channels. And that leads us to our next point. Don't give up. Solomon is just telling you don't complain about your situation, but then he's telling you don't give up in your current situation. Let's look at that. Chapter 11, verse 1. Follow along with me as I read. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight For you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves in the earth. And if the tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning... Sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know what will prosper, this or that, whether both alike will be good. Solomon is saying, don't give up. He gives you two ways not to give up, and he gives you two reasons why you shouldn't give up. Verse 1, the first way not to give up is do something. Do something. The verse says, cast your bread upon the waters. And that's what this, the noble king does. You see him using bread for strength. He's saying, just get up and do something with what you have. If you're in a tough situation, it might just be get up out of bed in the morning. For me, when we were kicked off the team, what we did is we just kept practicing, the three of us. We just did something. We also just tried to ask for forgiveness, continually going to our coach and asking for forgiveness. The second way that Solomon tells you not to give up is to try multiple things. Verse 2, give a portion to seven or even to eight. Just do something, but do multiple things. And I think Solomon gives you a little bit of a gold nugget here. Give us portion to seven or eight. He says, don't just do one thing, but don't just do everything you possibly can. Just do seven or eight things. And so for example, with classes, how many of you just have one class? 
student teaching, okay, that might not count. But you often have four or five classes, right? How many of you have 20 classes? That would be unreasonable. So I was also able to try multiple things as well. In that situation when we were kicked off the cross-country team, I wasn't just running, but I kept up with my schoolwork. I kept involved with music. I, I kept involvement with my church. So those are two ways in which we don't give up. Do something and try multiple things. Solomon summarizes that for you in verse 6. In the morning, sow your seed. It gives the imagery of farmers. Let me share a fun little story. We have four kids, and we often do flower beds. When my girls were younger, he would I would dig a hole and say, okay, put the flower seeds there. Parents, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. They would take the whole bag and dump it. That will not go well. Right? The seeds won't grow. So... Solomon is saying, try multiple things. Spread it out a little bit. Take those seeds, and I would often just, as soon as they dump it, I'd grab it really quick and say, okay, we're not going to do that. Maybe we'll put two here, and then we'll go another five inches, and we'll put two here. And so just try multiple things. Try putting things in different places. So do something. Try multiple things. And the two reasons for doing that is prosperity and disaster. Prosperity and disaster. Verse 1, cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days. It might prosper. Verse 2, for you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. Something bad may happen. Right? Right? So the why we should not give up, why we should do something, why we should do multiple things is something may work, something may not. He gives a couple of examples of what disasters may have in verse 3. Clouds full of rain, trees fall in the south. That might not be the most helpful for us. But what about disasters for you? Your car breaks down? Or it's... This is finals week. What what happens if your computer breaks? You get that spinning wheel of death or the blue screen of death. What about relational hurt? I'm sure you can think of other disasters that you have. And the underlying truth is we don't know what's going to happen. And so keep going. In fact, Solomon goes out of his way to make sure you get that. Repeated words are very helpful. And I don't know if you caught it. Did you hear what was repeated multiple times in here? Verse 2, you know not. Verse 5, not know. Later in 5, you do not know. Verse 6, you do not know. You don't know. So that's why you keep doing things, you keep trying things. So a question is, when are you tempted to give up? When are you tempted to give up? In what situations? 
Solomon gives us an idea of when we might be tempted to give up in verse 4. He who observes the wind will not sow. He who regards the clouds will not reap. Solomon is saying a reason and a temptation not to just not give up, a reason for giving up is fear. Fear. If you expect disasters to happen or you know or you just think disasters are going to happen, you could be, you could isolate yourself. I thought of this example last night. No pun intended. But frozen. What happened to Elsa? When she first got her powers, she was paralyzed with fear and isolated herself completely from everyone. Sorry, spoiler. Maybe. Where are you tempted to fear? Where are you tempted to freeze? Students, if you're in that make or break semester, and you have that make-or-break class, and the first grade you get back has that big red letter you dreaded. Do you paralyze in fear? Do you quickly run to your room and just shut yourself in? And just wait for the semester to be over? Possibly. You might that might be an initial reaction, but I think Solomon is saying, "Don't give up. Try things. Try multiple things. Join a study group. Go to the teacher's office during the hours. Hire a tutor. Try things. What about a challenging work environment? You show up each day, fearing for another canceled pro- project, a cold shoulders from your uh, coworkers, or a boss just." continually demeaning you and yelling at you for his mistake. Solomon is encouraging you, don't freeze in fear, do something. You may literally cast your bread. Bring donuts. Or another way of trying multiple things is maybe consider sending out a resume to other companies. There's multiple things you can do. How about broken relationships? If you're invested in relationship after relationship only to be hurt again and again, you just believe every relationship now is going to end in disaster. So you just don't give up. You just give up. You don't care anymore. I think Solomon is encouraging you just to say hi to the person next to you. There's something deeper going on here than just you doing something. I think Solomon is talk, talking about and getting to a deeper question. Where's your hope? Where's your hope? If you go back to the beginning, if your hope is in a noble ruler, you're going to be tempted to complain whenever they do something you don't agree with. If your hope is to have fun parents... And they all of a sudden discipline you or they embarrass you. You could be tempted to complain in that situation. If your hope is to pass all your classes with flying colors, graduate in four years, get a perfect job, get married, have 2.5 kids and a house with a white picket fence and you get an F. Don't fear. 
do something. Don't complain. Do something. If your hope is to have a wonderful, loving, caring boss who praises you, and then all of a sudden they challenge you on something, you could be crushed if your hope is in that. If your hope is in relationships, and every time you get hurt, you could just be flooded with despair. Solomon is saying, don't complain and don't give up. Because our hope should not be in those things. Our hope should be in your last point. God. God knows everything. Verse 5. Tom read it this morning. Let me read it again. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes into the bones in a womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. I don't want to, I don't have time to talk about the first part, but the second, the last part of there, you do not know the work of God who makes everything. It implies God allowed your king or ruler to be childish. It implies that the things you do that end up in disaster, God allowed those things to happen. God makes everything. God knows what's going to happen. So our hope should not be in those things. Our hope needs to be in God. How does our how does God knowing help us not complain and to do something? Going back a couple of weeks, we looked at Ezekiel 3 and the the main point of that is the um God's big plan his plan is big and it is good. God's plan is big and it is good. Spoiler alert, it ultimately is fulfilled in Jesus. We'll get to him in a moment. And in the New Testament, Paul tells us in Romans eight twenty eight, God works all things for the good of those who call upon him. So if you are a brother and sister here, it's going to end good for you. In Jesus, if you're not a brother or sister, if you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's going to end bad. Just a personal story, uh, just continuing on about the cross country, just to bring this around. We didn't finish the season in ninth grade. We It was a disaster, but it's, it wasn't really because... We used that time. We did something. We trained. And so that our sophomore year, we were actually a really good team. The three of us came back. We actually finished third in the championship race as a team. So things went well. It was easy for me to put my hope in running. Right? I want to get to the Olympics. That was not what God allowed for me. In fact, my senior year, I pulled a muscle halfway through the season. And from that point on, I really actually struggled to finish races. I went from winning races to almost losing them. But I could, I had to race because you need five runners and I was the fifth runner in order to, to, to run. I was favored to win the championship race and I even struggled to finish. But God had a bigger plan for me. 
As I mentioned, some of the things I did is I invested in music. Through music, I ended up getting a music education degree, which kept me back in the Philadelphia area, which allowed me to stay connected to my church. And it was actually through my church that I met the most wonderful, beautiful woman I ever met. Yes, my wife, Amber. (laughs) I thought my running was what God was going to prosper. And when things crossed it, I was eager to complain. But God had something bigger for me. And yes, my story does have Oz that I met my wife through it, but there's a greater story that we're all part of. And that's the story of Jesus. I wish we could go into this more and more, but let me just read Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, beginning halfway through verse 1. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus considered, he with joy endured the cross. Jesus endured ultimate disaster and didn't complain. And he didn't give up. When he was dying on the cross, people were mocking him, belittling him, the rulers. And yet Jesus asked God to forgive them. He easily could have gotten off down off that cross and showed them that he was the Son of God. But Jesus endured it. His ultimate price secures for us ultimate prosperity. No disaster can overcome that. We should invest wholeheartedly in Jesus. He cannot fail. He cannot fail. So how does that help you today? How does that help you today as you walk out of this building and go about your day? Well, the main point, expect prosperity and disaster. Don't complain. Don't give up. Because God knows everything. Let me pray. Father, 